Well, good morning, church. I say that that was a sweet time of worship and song and praise. And I, I love the fact that, you know, what I personally got out of that is worshiping the Lord is a lifestyle, right? It's not just sectioned off to what Michelle and Isaiah do up here. It's what we do every step of the way throughout the day, every day, and living a lifestyle of worship and praise to the Lord. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing that can fulfill you more than finding your purpose in life, and that's for you to find your identity in Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, we're, we're going to be continuing on in the book of Acts, and we'll be starting Acts chapter 25 this morning. Um, we'll be going through the first 12 verses, so when you get there to Acts 25, please go ahead and stand. I'll read the scripture this morning. We'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into uh, these rich nuggets of truth that the Lord has for us this morning. Once again, we're in Acts chapter 25. We'll be reading uh, from verses 1 down through 12. And it says, Now three days after Festus had arrived in the providence, when he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. Verse 6, after he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem, stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appear to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have been appealed. To Caesar you shall go. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again just for your presence in our lives, the fact that you pursue us, that you chase us down so that we may be uh, made whole. Lord, you don't give up on us. No one is far from you. Lord, thank you that you give grace and mercy. Thank you that you give repentance. 
Lord, that you help us to have a changed mind. Lord, we pray now that you would speak to us through your word. Show us where Jesus is all throughout this scripture and how uh, we need to apply this to our lives. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever, whatever circumstances may be surrounding us this morning, may we find our hope and our rest in Jesus. May we find our confidence in him to stand up against the opposition that we face. We thank you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. All right. I've entitled this message... The deception of power. The deception of power. And we see here this morning that there's a lot going on here with this deception of power that these religious leaders are chasing. But before I get into that, I just want to share this nugget of truth that I've stumbled across late last night and I was like, man, Lord, is this just for me or am I supposed to share this? And I believe the Lord is leading me to share this. And it's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and 8. I'll read it real quick. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. It's in regards to uh, the chief cornerstone. And it says, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders reject has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. I bring that up because the Lord spoke crystal clear to me about following Christ. The main things in those por- that portion of Scripture is belief. Believers in him will not be put to shame. And then he goes on to say that he becomes a stumbling block to those who disobey. So belief and disobey, disobey, excuse me, they are in complete opposite. And I bring that up simply for the principle of we need to make sure that how we're following Christ is biblically. I believe that over time, somehow, some way, the word belief has become watered down. And some people merely believe, there you go, believe, that all they have to do is believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for their sins and that's it. But we have to have a biblical understanding of what this belief means. In this scripture alone, it speaks of belief in accordance with obedience, right? Because if we live a life of We say we believe, but our lifestyle is constantly disobedient to the Lord. He's going to become a stumbling block to us, as the scripture said. You could take that for what it's worth, but that was a, a, a rich nugget of truth that really shook me as to what does belief really mean? What does belief in Jesus Christ really look like? And we will see that in the life of Paul this morning. Again, this morning we're going to see how some men... And women as well, but in the in the context of, of, of the scripture we're in this morning, it, it's it's referring to men. But men and women can both fall victim to this, unfortunately. Becoming seduced by the intoxicating deception of power. But that's not all here. That I don't want to focus on that because we also are gonna learn about the freedom one receives from Jesus Christ. 
once they place their trust and their hope in him. There is a freedom. There is a liberation to serve him. You are no longer bound by your sinful nature, but now you can freely choose to serve him as a bond servant. And it's a beautiful thing. Paul will go before Festus and experience similar treatment as he received from Felix, which we had learned about last week. Though Festus, by many historians, wasn't as bad as Felix. Remember, his name means pleasure, Felix, and he was sure a pleasure seeker. Festus was still more concerned about maintaining his power within the Roman governmental structure rather than judging this case that was before him with Paul honestly and accurately with honest scales. The Jewish religious leaders, well, we know by now, their main concern was maintaining their power, their influence that they were these religious leaders of this culture. And they would stop at nothing to hold on to this power. Then we have Paul, who is in the face of extreme opposition, remained faithful to the Lord because he had already been set free. What I had just alluded to uh, a minute ago. Submitting your life to Jesus Christ. The freedom that you find in Christ. The freedom to stand against any opposition knowing that the Lord goes before you. Nothing they could ever do to him would ever work in their favor because, again, he had received freedom in Jesus Christ. There are several main points that I'd like us to focus on this morning. And the first one is this. Some people, because of deception, will stop at nothing to obtain power, control, authority. They will stop at nothing for this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... It's actually quite easy to fall into this trap. And unfortunately for some Christians, it is still easy for them to fall into this trap of wanting, desiring, lusting after this concept of power and authority and influence. You see, we all have God-given abilities that have been given to us so that we may glorify our Father which is in heaven. But see, this is where it goes wrong is when people, when we use these gifts solely for our own selfish ambitions and we fail to acknowledge that it is God alone who has placed us in whatever position of influence we are in. We all know that we all sit here today in positions of influence. We know this, right? You don't have to be the president of the United States or you don't have to sit on the city council of Milpitas to have influence. You have influence where you sit today, within your family structure, within your community, within the outer realm of whoever you come across. Maybe you might be pumping gas. You have influence there as well. We serve a big God, right? If we believe we serve a big God, then we must understand he has placed us here for a purpose, for a mighty purpose. And influence is a part of that. The religious leaders, they allowed the allure of power to cloud their judgment. It clouded their thinking. They did not think clearly about where they were placed and what their influence was supposed to be. 
they failed to realize that the authority that they were given was given to them by God alone. And he also could take that authority away at any time. We all remember our boy King Nebi, right? King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember what happened to him in his pride. In his stoutfulness, he said, alone I've created this vast kingdom. What happened to him? <laughs> he eventually was forced into the wild and lost his mind for a season. That's, you read about that account and that's just amazing what happened to that man. He was not on LSD. He was not on any psych, psychedelic drug. He didn't eat mushrooms. He may have ate mushrooms in the wilderness, but he wasn't, it wasn't the mushrooms that caused him to go wild. It was a ramification of his disobedience to the Lord and thinking that he did these things by his own hands. The one good thing about that specific incident is that King Nebuchadnezzar, he repented. He came to his senses and he did give glory to God. Now, some may speculate, I'm not going there with this because that's a whole other topic. But some believe that he actually got saved. And when he died, his soul went to heaven because he responded in the way that we all should when confronted with the truth of who the Lord of Lords is. That's the first main point, alluding to people will stop at nothing to obtain power and influence. The second is this, freedom in Jesus Christ allows you to have confidence in Him to provide and protect you. I love this verse. This is a staple verse. It's been a staple verse in my life. 1 John 4.4 4. ha <laughs> ha perfect he who lives in me is greater than he who lives in the world and I also love 1 John 4.18 I actually misquoted I was about to say, I was about to say the other one 1 John 4.18 that's actually what I was alluding to perfect love casts out all fear that's a beautiful nugget of truth right there you can, I mean you can bank your existence on that perfect love casts out all fear how many how many times have we been afraid in our lives how many times have we been tempted to be fearful or the fact of the matter is there's just fear creeps in and over and over in the bible the lord tries to get us to understand we don't have to live in fear we don't have to respond to fear the way an unbeliever does we have the holy spirit if you're saved and if you've accepted jesus christ as your personal lord and savior you have the holy spirit dwelling living inside of you the spirit of strength the spirit of courage the spirit of love the spirit of truth we were not given a spirit of fear you see paul did not fear when festus confronted him Rather, he trusted that the Lord would represent him and provide an out for him if it was the Lord's will. You see, that's where we get it twisted a lot of times, too. We think, nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. Do we look at the scriptures? Do we study through the word of God? Do we see that all of the saints, all of the servants of God went through something? You look at the hall of faith. What happened? There's many they never even received what they could have complained about this side of heaven. But be assured that they receive that peace and that joy when they go to be with their heavenly father. You see, we will go through tough times. 
with the Lord. Regardless, being born into this world in the flesh, you're going to go through hard times. So if knowing that, right, especially as we get older, once you start, you know, reaching your teens and you're like, man, it's, you know, sometimes it's, it's tough. Well, isn't it so much better to submit to the Lord and have the Lord on your side? So that way, when you go through these tough times, you have the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings, that solid rock who is Jesus Christ to rely on rather than your own understanding, your own intuition, your own intellect, your own methods of dealing with it, right? The Lord is security for us and we need to trust and rest in Him as Paul did. We need to have this same perspective concerning the circumstances of life, understanding that things are going to come. We know, we, we know the scripture that talks about when the storm comes. What house is going to stand? The, the house that's built on the sand or the house that's built on the rock? They both look nice. They both, they both have the window dressing. They both look pretty, right? But when that storm hits that, that house on the sand, it just crumbles because the foundation is faulty. It's not built on the rock. But when those storms of your life hit and your character and your countenance and your, 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 everything that you are is built upon the rock of Jesus Christ, not even death can break you. You will be shook. You will be shook, but you won't break. You won't break. Freedom in Jesus Christ also produces another valuable asset to the Christian life. And that's contentment. Contentment, which helps you and I not to constantly be comparing ourselves with other people. That's one of the worst things is to fall into that cycle of constantly comparing. You know, it's uh, I mean, it can happen. It can happen subconsciously. You're just driving down the road. You're like, you know, whether you're in a nice car or not a nice car, you see one car, man, that car super beat up. You look to the other side, brand new Lexus. And, you know, we, we're not even aware that we're doing it and we're just, we're subconsciously comparing. But, but contentment is a byproduct of having that relationship with Jesus Christ. You find yourself less and less being so concerned about what other people have and what you don't have. And you're grateful for what you do have. Right, understanding that every single utter of breath, whew, that is a miracle. That is a blessing. The fact that your heart doesn't palpitate all weird and it just, you know, convolt and you fall out, that's a miracle. That your organs work, that your brain can compute things in a way where you don't got tumors busting out and capillaries busting out in your skull, right? And that's not to say that when those things happen to other people that they did something bad. I'm saying Every little bit of life is such a blessing and such a deep miracle that when we, we come to understand what these things represent and what they mean, we're going to spend far less time comparing and being concerned about all this and that. It's not going to be a big deal to us because we're going to be like, you know what, I'm so grateful, Lord. You know, look back on your life. Realize what you used to be bound to. And if you're free in Christ today, that's why it's okay. You know, I, I see why some people, they jump up and say, hallelujah. They get crazy. They get loud. I mean, Michelle just came back from North Carolina. I'm sure the services out there were off the hook, you know, and, and that's okay. You can be solemn too. It's not a big deal. It's not like God's like, don't do that. But I'm just saying, I can understand when you recognize what you've been saved from 
and the freedom. I mean, it's, it's real freedom to not be bound. You could surf the web and you don't have to have no blocker. I'll tell you straight up. I have not been on an illicit site in over 10 years. And that's all due thanks to the Lord. Same thing with any kind of marijuana, any kind of drinking, anything like that. Now, I, now I got anger issues still. You can ask my wife, ask my kids, you know, uh, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, things start getting stripped away that the Lord wants to take away when he comes in. And that's that freedom that you have in Jesus Christ. Again, it helps you to be grateful for the portion that God has allowed you to have. And that's cool. The measure that God has given you. The measure of influence. You don't have to, I don't care. You know, we don't, we don't, we're not a numbers-based church. That doesn't work. We're not about that. We're about people growing in their depth and their relationship with Jesus Christ. I fail as a pastor if people are not growing spiritually here. So I'm super grateful that we don't have 200 people here. Because you know how much harder that is to gauge 200 people and see, is every single person actually on par? Not saying that I'm all in your lives all crazy here, but it's a lot easier when you have a small group of people. And the Lord gives the increase. The Lord gives the increase. He's, I believe he's far more concerned about our maturation as believers. We're called to make disciples, not churchgoers. Don't come in here and just kick it. This ain't a social club. We come here for spiritual guidance, the game plan, and we leave here to apply it to our lives on a weekly basis. That's the purpose of us being here. All the other things are byproducts. It's cool you have friends. It's great to see Debbie here. You know, we enjoy that. But we come to be ministered to. We come actually to give a sacrifice. We come with an offering to the Lord. I'm not talking about your money. Your heart should come with an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. If you don't walk through those doors with some way knowing that you come with an offering, you've come with an incorrect manner. It's not about what you can get. It's not about who's teaching. It's not about, oh, I like the, I like the teaching, I didn't like it. It's about, I need to bring something to the Lord to show Him how reverent I am for the fact that He loved me and sent and took me out of the pit of hell and saved my soul eternally. Now, I'm fired up this morning. I don't know what it is, but... The Lord's got something going in my bones and I can sense his presence and I can sense him wanting to speak to us. And it's a beautiful thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not badgering you to beat you over the head. It's to encourage you. You know, we watched uh, Fighting the Giants the other night. That's a great movie. My son was like, why is he yelling at him? Remember when Brock, he had the, the guy over his back and he was bear crawling. He started at one end zone. He kept going and the, and the coach, go, come on, Brock. Give me all. Don't quit. Don't quit. Kalos is like, why is he yelling at him, Dad? Why is he yelling? I said, he's not. And my wife, actually, she said, he's not yelling at him. Like, he's trying to encourage him. He's trying to encourage him. And what happened? He, what did he tell him? Get to the 50 or the 40? He went all the way to the other end zone. You know? Obviously, that's all God-given talent. But the fact is, sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need that encouragement. You know, not someone barking at you, telling you what you're doing wrong, but someone encouraging you, spurring you on, the Word says, in the good things of the Lord. I believe that's what the Lord is doing this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 tell us, this is again referring to contentment, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. 
You see, this is one of the keys to living a radical life for Christ is that only the Lord Jesus Christ can provide this kind of contentment that's found in Him alone. With anything else, it can't do it. It can't provide it. Power, authority, esteem, the allure of power, the allure of wealth cannot fulfill you, cannot bring you contentment. All these things fall short. You know? Even I enjoy a good meal. But cooking up a frenzy ain't going to fulfill you. A lot of people just eat to feel good. I got to eat something good. I mean, I like Friday nights. You know, I'm watching Guy Fieri. Dynance drivers and dies. I'm always like, I want something to eat. <laughs> I'm thinking in the back of my head, man, my meal wasn't even good. I want something like that. I want a juicy, fat burger with that baking oil fat drizzling off of it. Man. The Lord's like, man, find your contentment in me. You had a meal. You had a nice, good meal. Find your contentment in Jesus Christ. And you'll be okay. You'll be okay with Guy Fieri rolling around in that nice Corvette telling you how good these dine-ins are. I can't get there. But, you know, that's our contentment in Christ. We need that. All right, the third and final main point this morning is this. The Lord will go before you and fight for you. (laughs) If nobody else needs to hear that, I need to hear that this morning. The Lord will go before you and fight for you. Paul understood this. He understood that the Lord Jesus Christ went before him. I love this verse. Exodus chapter 14, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. What? (laughs) How many times something pops off and we're like, I got to do something. And the Lord's like, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for you. I'll tell you this. I didn't expect this to happen, but it played out this morning. Okay, for you men, it's probably not a wise thing to shave in the shower. You know, your facial hair or whatever. You know, for me trying to save time with, you know, my wife and the two kids, I don't get up early enough. So I bring in a mirror And I prop it on, you know, one of the things that holds all the shower stuff. And I shave, you know, I move the shower head so it doesn't fog up and I'm shaving. Well, today, that big old mirror decided to just fall and just break in the shower. But you know what? I say that, and that's what I'm saying. I didn't mean for this to happen, but it's all the Lord just showing this to me now. All I received amongst all these shards of glass that were all over the place, big and small. You know, obviously I had to turn off the shower and I'm like, what's going on? Kayla's just like, ah, what's going on? What's going on? I'm like, dude, get a, get a plastic bag. I got glass everywhere. You know, I received one small cut on my left foot and that's it. As much as that glass broke, it could have been a whole lot worse. But the Lord went before me and praise God, he kept that from me and I didn't have to you know whatever have lacerations on my body because that that mirror broke so you know FYI don't don't shave in the shower because it might happen to you and it might be worse I don't know I'm just saying all right God will not keep you from a trial free life but you can be sure as a child of God that he will walk 
with you through difficult times. What a comforting promise that every believer needs to hold on to. Think of your darkest moments. You know the Lord was with you, right? You know the Lord cared that you hurt. You know the Lord cared that you were struggling. Sometimes, many times, right? Our best isn't good enough. Our best is just not good enough. The Lord understands. He cares. And He comforts the brokenhearted. You can be sure of that. All right, let's go and begin to unpack these verses. So, Acts 25, verses 1 through 3. So it says, Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the providence, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of Jerusalem laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Well, we ended Acts chapter 24 last week, and it ended with the transition of Felix to Festus. Felix was a man of bad character. We talked about all that. Uh, you know, he, he stole away or he seduced Drusella, his, his wife uh, of that time, from her, her previous husband. And, and, and again, we, we talked about how his name actually means pleasure and the things that, that he did and, uh, you know, the fact that he... Uh, though he was a slave that rose to prominent power in the Roman Empire, he still kept a lot of those uh, inhumane practices from when he was a slave and how he, he treated and, 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 and governed over those who were under his sphere of influence. And so he wasn't a good man by any stretch of the imagination. He was involved in a lot of uh, debauchery and bad things. But history tells us that Festus was basically a good man. He, he, he did not have the, the same character as, as Felix did. He governed well, despite all of the problems that Felix left behind. I guess that happens in politics often, right? Somebody will run, somebody will be in charge, and they leave whatever mess, the next person's got to clean it up and the cycle continues. We see that there's nothing new under the sun because this was happening here back then in Scripture. The statement, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, hints at the fact that Festus was a good leader. When he arrived at Caesarea, the capital of the Judean providence, he immediately made the trip to Jerusalem. Probably the most important Jewish city in that providence. <clears throat> Next we see these religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were up to their same old shenanigans. Then the high priests and the chief men of the Jews informed Festus about Paul. So they went out of their way to go talk to this new leader. Oh, we got to let you know about Paul what he's about. Let me tell you, he's not about nothing good. This is why we need you to oust him. We need you to get rid of this guy for us. Though it had been two years since this case had begun, Paul was still important to these religious leaders. They hoped to make Paul appear before them in Jerusalem because then they could have their way with them. We can see that Paul's generous imprisonment in Caesarea 
Because remember, he was kind of put on house arrest, right? He wasn't, he, he, had, he had liberties that a normal prisoner wouldn't have. And this again shows the providential provision of protective custody against these murderous religious leaders and how the Lord provided for Paul, even in this state of an uncomfortable situation. For Paul, this also could have been a season of rest and replenishment after his years of hard missionary service, preparing him for the challenges ahead, right? We talk about this a lot in in, in the Christian faith. You're either going into a storm or coming out of one. The Lord will provide you rest, but best believe you're going to go back into a storm in a little bit of time. And for Paul, this was a time of rest before he was going to get into something again, and it was going to be deep for him. The application is this. The Lord alone knows exactly what we need when we need it. You see, many times it is through the difficulties of life that we are the closest to God. It is through the the, the trials of life, the hardships of life that we go through where we sense the Lord the closest. He provides us comfort, peace, and security that would be hard to experience when we are not walking through a trial. Because what happens sometimes? You don't sense a trial. You start thinking you got this. You start thinking, oh, I'm okay. I'm good. <laughs> where's, my de- where's my Devo time? Oh, I ain't been in the Word that much. I mean, I'm good, though. My, my wallet, my pockets are good. Look at my bank account. I got food in the fridge. I've been fighting with my wife and my kids. Oh, man. You in for a shocker. You better get on your knees quick. (laughs) You better get in the word. You better stay on that regimen. It's important. Don't ever think you could go a day without being in God's word. Don't ever get up one morning and don't fall on your knees. Unless you got a situation where you physically can't get to your knees. Lord knows. Lord knows. I'm not being legalistic. (laughs) The Lord's not going to hear you if you don't get on your knees. I'm not saying that. But you know, a reverent posture... You starting your day like that, it's going to be far better. I tell that to Kalos every day because his first thing is he wants to get on that Amazon fire. He wants to watch Ryan's world. He wants to do all the... I said, son, start your day with Jesus Christ. No matter what happens, your day is always going to be better. You start your day with Ryan. Ryan ain't... I mean, what is Ryan going to do for you? That kid's making money hand over fist. He don't care about you, son. I'm, st- I'm tired of buying the toys at Target. But, you know, ser- in all seriousness... You know, starting your day with the Lord, and it's that reverent respect for Him will help you so much. And going back to this, when we go through trials, we experience the presence of the Lord like we, we rarely do other times. Next, we see the true intentions of these religious leaders. They hadn't changed. They had the opportunity to. They hadn't changed. They had not changed. They had not repented. They had not submitted to their Messiah. They wanted Paul out of their hair for good. The text says that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they laid in ambush alone, excuse me, along the road to kill him. The religious leaders knew that Paul would be acquitted in any fair trial. They didn't really want Paul to go to trial again. They wanted to ambush him and just murder him in cold blood. So the trial wouldn't even have to take place. 
application is this. Do not allow yourself to become deceived by the appearance of power that you think you have. Or even the authority or the influence. Even, you know, this is, some may think, well, how does this even apply to my life? I'm not, I'm not in no leadership position. Are you a parent? Are you an aunt? Are you an uncle? Are you some, maybe some of you are godparents here? Uh, you know, are you grandparents? You, you have authority then. You have a, a position of power, so to speak. It is the Lord alone who administers authority to people, not themselves. Daniel chapter 2 verse 21 tells us, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. You see, this is the deception of power that these religious leaders fell into, unfortunately. I mean, think about it. These were religious men. They were the religious leaders of their day. They were the ones who should have known out of anybody how to act and what to do. They should have known that means whatever title they had, that just means, bro, you're supposed to be a super servant. You're supposed to serve. You're supposed to serve people, man. You're supposed to serve, not be served. And you know, sometimes we get that twisted in the Christian faith. We think that, oh yeah, I want to be in ministry and do this and that. Do you know you should be the first one? Again, I'll keep saying it. If the pastor ain't willing to clean the toilets and take out the trash and do the menial stuff, then that person's not fit to be God's mouthpiece. Why? Because you shouldn't have to say, oh yeah, you go do this, you go do that. Be the first one. There's something wrong when people who are put in positions of authority think they're above what? You can't, you can't sweep? You can't clean? You can't do that stuff? <laughs> You're going to send Billy, 15-year-old Billy to do it? Oh, yeah, because he's my apprentice. Dude, you ain't worthy of having no apprentice. Stop. That, you, see, you know what I'm saying? Though? That just mentality ain't even right. That's not what Jesus did. That's not how Jesus acted. What did Jesus do? They didn't have no fresh air Jordans back then. They had some beat up leather sandals walking through dung and poop and mud and dirt. And he got on his hands and knees, got a bowl and washed everybody's nasty cornfield feet, stanky bunions everywhere, skin falling off, infestation, smelling gross, make you want to throw up. I'm just keeping it real. That's what he did. And what did he say? Do that to each other. You know, man, we're going to do that sometime in this church. I've done it before once, and it was a humbling experience to be cleaning some other man's feet. I didn't clean my wife's feet. <laughs> but, I mean, that's what, I'm, that's what the Scripture is speaking to, though. That humility of service and what it looks like to be a servant. And these religious leaders didn't get that. They failed to understand that. Their actions show the danger of religion that is not in true relationship with God. If your religion makes you a liar and a murderer, there's something wrong with your religion. You see, their religion was really power, control, and manipulation. It wasn't Jesus Christ. Because they wanted to hold on to what they had. They wanted to harness that. They didn't want the Messiah for who he was. They'd rather keep the law. 
The law condemns. You don't want the law. The law shows you you don't measure up. Oh, the, every time I look at the law, I'm like, man, I suck. I suck as a husband. I suck as a pastor. I suck as a friend. Because that's what the law does. But it pushes you to Jesus. And then Jesus said, I got grace. I got mercy for you. Stop beating yourself up. You're okay. Let's go. You know, I'm, I'm going to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. That's what Jesus says. So if you think you're inadequate, you better praise God. Because you got the proper perspective of who you are. This is not a crimey pity party. You see, that's what the world thinks. They don't understand it because you got to have the Holy Spirit breaking down the scripture for you to help you to understand what's my position in Christ. For you to be elevated, you better get as low as you can, as fast as you can. Then in the Lord's timing, he will elevate you to whatever influence he wants to give you in your sphere of influence. And that's, that's how it works. It's not the way the world works. So the world, how does the world work? I'm going to stomp on whoever I got to. I will crawl, scratch, kick, punch anybody that gets in my way so I can climb that ladder to success. And what happens? Once you get there, yeah, you enjoy it for a while. But the luster wears off and you're emptier and lonelier than you were before you even started. And you're wondering, what is going on? Why can't I find fulfillment? My wife is gorgeous. I got a beautiful house on the hills. I got Teslas and all this and that, but I do not have peace. And then you got somebody that's living on food stamps, using wick. <laughs> and they got peace and they got joy and they got a smile on their face. And you can see it in their eyes when you look at them. You're content. What is the secret? It's no secret. They just found their position in Jesus Christ and all that other stuff. I'm not, saying you, I'm not saying you can't have things. But don't lust after these things thinking they're going to fulfill you because they don't. And you're going to be left lonely, broken, hating life. And at worst, people raise their fists at God and say, what? He didn't do it to you. He's a good God. He loves you. If anything, he let you have all these things. Maybe to show you they ain't going to work. Have all the Corvettes you want. Have the house, all the houses you want. That's not going to fulfill you. They're, they're okay things. They're not bad or good. Nothing wrong with having a house. You can have a house and use it for all the glory of God. But don't look for it to fulfill you because it never will. Amen? The, the enticement of power was so strong before these men that they couldn't imagine seeing themselves without it. You see, that's a problem, Right? When we say we can't live without something or someone, the only one you better not live without is Jesus Christ. That's the only one you should say, I can't live without. Like David, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I need it. I need you. I'm not saying you don't love people, but if the Lord chooses to take somebody, he takes them and you deal with it and you're probably always going to deal with it. But you know what? The Lord is going to provide a way for you to grow from that. And understand that it was in the Lord's perfect timing that someone's taken away from this earth. And that they're in a better place. And that they're in peace. But when we looked at things or people, it's not a good thing. And these men, they couldn't deal with the fact that someone may not call them rabbi. Someone may not call them religious elite. They were not willing to part with this position of power that they held so dear to their hearts. And if it meant killing to keep it, you could be sure that's what they were going to do. They were going to kill. 
I mean, all you have to do is watch, what is it, CS, uh, CSNBC, the, the, greed, the greed shows? I see those commercials. Man, people go crazy. People go nutty for what they think they need, and they are willing to kill for it. They're willing to take an innocent life so they can have what they think they want. And this is what happened with these religious leaders here. We see a growth of corruption. In Acts chapter 23, when the plot to murder Paul was first launched, we find these religious leaders, they were responsible. But now in Acts chapter 25, we find these leaders are initiating the very thing that before they were only willing to say, you do it, you do it. Now, now they're actually willing to get their hands dirty. You see how their sin got deeper and deeper? The more they entertained these ungodly thoughts, it went from just talking about it, you do it, you do it, it's okay, you do it, to where, oh no, I'm going to do it with my own bare hands. They had the opportunity to receive their Messiah. Again, they instead held on to their traditions and the law even though they could have been liberated. And today, you don't want to fall in that camp. You have the opportunity today. You may already be saved, but what I'm saying is to get right with God, to be liberated from the law. No amount of scripture reading is going to make you right with God, but you've fallen on your face acknowledging that He's Savior and you need Him that will. All He's looking for is humility. See, because so, sometimes we get caught up in the work-based thing too. Well, I prayed for two and a half hours today. I've done it for the past 15 years. That doesn't make you right with God. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But don't think your performance, it's a filthy rag to God. He doesn't care about that. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants genuineness from you. He wants genuine relationship. He wants a genuine relationship. That's what he is desiring from you and from me. Verses 4 and 8, Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem, stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they couldn't prove. And Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. Now we don't know if Festus knew the intentions of the Jewish leaders or not. But either way, he had refused to grant their request for a change of venue. And this was another providential thing of God showing his protection for Paul. Festus was willing to put Paul on trial again to resolve the matter, though. Yet he insisted that it would happen in Caesarea, not in Jerusalem. Again, it says, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. Eventually, once again, Paul was on trial before a Gentile ruler accused by these religious leaders. Paul's life 
was still in danger if he was found guilty. Again, the religious leaders made complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. As before, they made all kind of accusations without any evidence that Paul did anything of what they were saying. In response, Paul confidently, confidently, excuse me, he rested on both the evidence and his integrity in Jesus Christ. You see, many in the Bible were targets of false accusation, just to name a few. We know, we know about Joseph. We all know about Joseph. We know about Daniel, right? Those are just a few. But yet in another sense, every follower of Jesus Christ is the target of false accusations by the accuser of the brethren. Who is that? Satan. He goes around accusing you, accusing me. And that's why sometimes we get caught up in stuff and we be beating ourselves up for no reason. It's like, that's the enemy. The enemy's trying to beat you up. Don't, don't help him beat you up. He's accusing you. He's causing accusations to come your way. Those are the fiery darts. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 tells us, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Woo! You know that's what Satan does, right? Day and night. Day and night he's accusing you before God. Trying to tell God, just see, he ain't going to do it. She ain't going to do it. You see how they are? You see how they are? Give up on them. That's what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren and the sistering. The application. Thankfully, Jesus is our defense against condemnation. Couldn't almost get that out. And false accusation. Conviction is a beautiful thing. Don't ever pray away conviction. But condemnation, that's straight from Satan. It is our Lord Jesus Christ who is our strong tower and our defender. Romans chapter 8 verses 33 and 34 tell us, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, He was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us. And this is where that freedom in Christ and that confidence in Jesus Christ comes in. We know that he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, the utmost place of authority and honor. And he's interceding for you and I. While Satan is constantly badgering and berating, Jesus Christ is constantly interceding and praying that our faith not fail us and that we not falter under the pressures of life. That we not succumb to the accusations from the enemy. And this is what was happening to Paul. The religious leaders were being vessels used by Satan to accuse him time and time again. And the Lord Jesus Christ was in Paul's corner interceding for Paul, giving Paul the strength to stand firm in his faith. Last four verses. Verse 9. It says, But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, 
I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. The Jews, to the Jews, excuse me, I have done no wrong, as you, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing of to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appear to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Okay, so now we see that Festus, he, he, wanted, <laughs> he wanted to do the Jews a favor. He was trying to find out how he could, you know, wiggle something in there. Though he is said to be a better leader than Felix, Festus also understood the importance for him to have a good relationship with the Jewish people of his providence. He was basically working the political angles. He wanted to work the angles in his favor. And the application for that for us today is this. This is why it's so important for you and I to gauge bad and good based on the Lord's standards, not our own. You see, the reality we as humans... Someone's always going to look better or worse. <laughs> we're like, we're using this one person. Well, I'm not that bad. Well, okay, yeah, you're not that bad. But, but I mean, come on, whose standard are you going off of? You're not going off of God. You're going off your own. Right? Depending on who we measure our standards by. Someone will say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not like Charles Manson. Some of you guys, you young people, don't even know who Charles Manson. Who's Charles Manson? Marilyn Manson? What are you talking about? I'm not like Marilyn Manson. But again, we need God's standard, right? Because the truth is, in God's eyes, no one is good. We all fail to miss the mark of perfect righteousness. But because Festus was trying to work his political angles, he came up with another proposition. He asked Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? You see, Festus found it difficult to decide the case. He found it difficult. Paul's standing as a Roman citizen prevented Festus from condemning or uh, commanding, excuse me, the trial to be moved to Jerusalem. So he asked Paul about this instead because he was trying to do a workaround. It's interesting though, because you've got to wonder if Festus knew of the plot to murder Paul or not. If he did, then knowingly asking Paul to walk into an ambush and be murdered would simply be wrong. If he, if he did not know, then he merely thought that he would please the religious leaders to have the trial in Jerusalem. So either way, it was kind of a not good look on Festus's part there. And so again, it says, so Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged and I appeal to Caesar. Paul saw that he saw through the plot to take his life. Perhaps it was through supernatural knowledge or perhaps through God-given common sense and deduction, some might say. Either way, he demanded to stand trial before Caesar. Rightly and wisely, Paul wanted to avoid martyrdom if he could. Now, he wasn't afraid to face the lions, but he didn't want to be putting his head in the lion's mouth if he could avoid it. And the application for us is this. We should be willing to suffer for Jesus Christ, 
And if we can avoid unnecessary confrontations, we should also do that as well, right? Some people are just, they just going off emotion. You got to use discernment and let the Lord show you. Sometimes you are supposed to fall back and sometimes you are supposed to move forward. It just depends on what the Lord wants to do in that moment in and through you. Paul's appeal made sense. He was convinced that the evidence was on his side and that he could win in a fair trial. He also had to reason to wonder if his current judge, Festus, was sympathetic to his accusers, these religious leaders. And it was right, it was the right for every Roman citizen to have their case heard by Caesar himself after initial trials, right, and appeals failed. It's kind of like in our court system today the fact that you know you can if you want to go there you could take it to the supreme court it takes a whole lot of hula hoops to jump through but you can get there the application is this we should be grateful that we live in a country where if you get in trouble with the law you do have right to a fair trial you see we know that the judicial system is far from perfect but it is far better than other countries where if you steal, hey, you just whack off your hand. You're done. <laughs> you lose a hand. You'll learn not to steal when they cut off your hand. Or just lock you up and throw away the key. This is my last point as the worship team comes up. Today we need to be fully aware of the deception of power. That we have a sober view of who we are in Jesus Christ. That no position of authority has ever been given without God's permission. We need to wield those positions in humility and contentment so we don't abuse them. We also need to trust that the Lord will go before us in all of our experiences. He will be with us and walk us through them as no matter how painful the circumstances are. Ultimately, he will use every circumstance that we go through in our lives to mold us into the moral image and character of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you for the fact that you go before us, Lord, that we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear the enemy. We don't have to fear man. We can trust that you are going to do exactly what you said you were going to do. Make sure our souls would not be taken. Though we go through difficult times in this life, we can rest assured that you will be with us through every circumstance, bad and good, and that we can find our hope and our joy in you. So today, Lord, whatever, wherever we're at, you know exactly where each single person is sitting in these seats. Lord, may you comfort them, may you encourage them, may you convict them, showing them that you are the truth, the only one they should be following. Father, we thank you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.